some Sundays are just like that. I don't even know what to say. I, you know, I've, I've had all day to come up with something positive to say about what I watched yesterday and to get ready to, to bring Sarah into this great positivity. And now the moment is here, and all I keep thinking about is how much yesterday just stunk. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Shell Penzo Performance Line. And you can be part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, ESPN Nation, presented by Dr. Pepper. The college football season's heating up. So is your favorite Dr. Pepper love college football town fansville head to a store near you to treat your inner college football fan to an ice cold 20 ounce dr pepper today sarah my inner nfl fan yesterday was excited for what like i, I rarely say this but i i expected a beer game that's the type of game where although for me it's really more a vodka soda game where you can put your feet up just enjoy your drink there's no anxiety and i got that i just got that going the wrong way because the raiders <laughs> got absolutely crushed in my annual decimation and my sunday of sadness that happens at least once a year. Well, earlier it said you wanted to bring me in with a little positivity. I don't see why, because I'm sitting in the suck with you. So, like, I don't need you to have faux positivity, just like I didn't need Tony Dungy to compliment Mitch Trubisky for, well, that's good. There's a positive. He used his arms and his legs. Uh, It was ugly for my team as well. It was a bad Sunday. Mine was probably more expected. The Packers and Aaron Rodgers have the Bears number even when they're good, and they are not good, and they continue their slide from a start that was based on smoke and mirrors, and now we're left with the same conundrum we have had for decades, which is good defense, no offense, bad quarterback. Should we start over? And the answer is probably yes, cleaning house in a number of ways, Uh, but at least your hope remains for the rest of the season. And a hope, of course, that the Raiders don't repeat their tendency to uh, start to struggle in the second half. But I have no hope. Uh, so let's just remember who's more stuck in the suck. That, uh, that is, that, we're getting t-shirts made for that. Uh, <laughs> and yes, you are right. I still have tremendous hope and I still believe the Raiders are going to make the playoffs. It's just, oh, it was not fun. Now, it wasn't just not fun for you and I. It was an interesting day. Let's say it this mm. way. An interesting day yesterday if you woke up and you were a Broncos fan, like, it's funny. I haven't heard from L. Duncan all year about our Raiders Broncos. She's a Broncos fan. I'm a Raiders fan. We talk a little bit of trash to each other. Heard nothing. And then yesterday, all of a sudden, she was blowing me up on Twitter to trash talk the <laughs> fact that her Broncos with no quarterback put up as many points as my beloved Raiders can put up. So the trash talk coming out of nowhere. But That's it was, fair. It That's was, fair. <laughs> I mean, you want to talk a nightmare scenario yesterday mm. for the Broncos as they go in with no quarterbacks. And that that's just – it is – the worst case scenario of 2020 personified in one game for the Broncos without having anybody at the most important position in the field. Yeah, a couple things about that one. Uh, I was telling someone beforehand I was excited for it because I like weird baseball. I like when, you know, everybody else <laughs> says to call a game when it goes into the 18th inning. I'm like, no, 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 that's when it gets good. That's when we really start to see position players pitching. It was a great game where Joe Madden had an outfielder going back and forth between pitching and the outfield depending on the batter it, it, like there was it was it, it can get weird and fun in this case the idea of a team with no quarterbacks is a lot more fun than the reality of a team with no quarterbacks because it was ugly it was sad honestly you know the fact that they had more passes picked off than completions for the first time since 98 when Ryan Leaf was starting a game which is especially sad for Ryan Leaf cuz he's an actual NFL quarterback at least according to technicality He trash talked me yesterday too about my <laughs> Well, bring up that stat. Yeah, there because, we go. Uh, honestly, yeah, I mean, you couldn't have expected much more. But I do want to point out that for all of those people who say, 
I could return a serve from Serena Williams, or I could beat a WNBA player, or I could complete a pass in the NFL. All the people who sit on their couch and watch professional athletes and think they could do great. This is a reminder that someone in peak shape, who is above average of the entire world in athleticism, in speed, in hands, and everything else, who played this position in college, went out there and was one for nine with two picks. Like, that job is hard, and he didn't get any reps in practice, and he was thrust into a terrible situation, and he did his best, and props to him. But if I hear anyone ever again, oh, I could have made that pass. No, you couldn't. No, you couldn't. <laughs> you couldn't even make it on Madden for most people. Uh, Kendall yeah. Hilton, by the way, was the uh, he was a practice squad wide receiver, right? He played at Wake, and uh, he got his big opportunity yesterday to come in and just do what he could to help the team. And you know, I should in, remember I, Kendall Hinton's name. I am sorry, Kendall Hinton, for just calling you that guy well you, you know earned, what? you earned for me to learn your name but i also think it's important for everybody else to know some some information here and and part of what was lost in the storytelling leading up to the game because i saw a lot of people on social media talking about why not bring in a quarterback and who's out there and who's available and we all saw the different you know it seemed like everybody wanted to put up some sort of a graphic of either tebow or kaepernick and create some sort of a conversation that's all fine and and good but remember that if you sign with the team, you have a six-day holding period where you cannot go in and interact with that team at all because of COVID. And the other thing the Broncos tried to do was they tried to get one of their coaches uh, put on to the active roster because he's been going through the testing. But the NFL smartly said no to that because if they allow it, then they open up the at least Pandora's box of what could happen with teams deciding at some point that they'll bring in a quarterback that may be you know, on his last legs and you just make him a coach. And then, oh, what do you know? He had an emergency. We need him. So uh, there wasn't a different path that could have been taken by the Broncos at all. This game, once their quarterbacks were ruled out, was absolutely going to happen without any quarterback playing. So I just think that detail is important. Yeah, listen, this year sucks. COVID sucks. 2020 sucks. Trying to play professional sports or collegiate sports in this sucks. But the NFL is not being intentionally, in my opinion, based on all the facts, picking and choosing who they want to punish and who they don't. The reason that the Broncos continued to play throughout a situation that was untenable to their you know, win probability is because they had a controlled spread. There was not a belief that the positive tests were in any way possibly going to pop up in other parts of that team and endanger the rest of the team or their opponent, and because they had protocol that they first of all lied about and then when they were honest about it they didn't wear masks so none of those players were available it was their own fault and as Dan Orlovsky very smartly pointed out an aspect of this that I hadn't thought about I thought of all, all tons of them is how much those quarterbacks are going to regret that the simple wearing of a mask was the difference between them being available for what might be their one opportunity Dan Orlovsky as a backup quarterback speaking from knowledge and the heart saying if you down the road Talk to someone and it's your wife or your friend or you're sitting around a barbecue and you say, you know what, I was in the NFL, but I never got my shot to prove what I had. You did get your shot and you blew it because you didn't want to do something as simple as wearing a mask. You let down your team, you let down yourself because those opportunities don't come around. And he pointed out Flynn, who, by the way, did not have a great career, but he made a ton of money because he filled in, he played a great game and he got himself a contract and an opportunity somewhere else. And any one of those guys could have done that. 
and didn't because they didn't want to do something simple. But the difference is, is that there was no spread perceived there. With the eight plus days of consecutive positive tests going on in the Ravens building, there is no clear certainty that they don't have it and haven't tested for it and that the incubation period is still occurring for players on that team, which means if you put them out there, they're risking the rest of their teammates and the opponent. So that's an uncontrolled spread. The NFL cannot move forward with the game in that situation, which is why they keep pushing it back. They haven't canceled yet because that means not paying all those people, angry TV people, messing up the playoffs, potentially playing in week 18, like a whole mess of stuff. So Fitz, they're trying to move it back as much as they can because they don't want to have to cancel it, but they can't play it unless they know that the Ravens are done continuing to pop up with new positive tests. Well, and and by the way, Ravens Steelers has been postponed to Wednesday. We know that. You're absolutely right. And uh, remember, any player that, that found themselves on the COVID list wouldn't be eligible for the game if it was played on Wednesday anyway. So there isn't some grand scheme. The other thing we saw from the league when you talk about you know some level of consistency they find the saints and, and took a draft pick away half a million dollars to the saints and a seventh round pick were taken for a celebration in the locker room with no masks and that's the other thing that the league has been fairly consistent on you when you are a multi-time offender as the saints and raiders have now been deemed you get fined you lose a draft pick so we'll see how the league moves forward as they continue to investigate everybody sarah i'm just thinking that at some point we need to acknowledge that every one of these situations even though they all have the name covid are very different uh mm-hmm. espn radio presented by progressive insurance quoting home insurance just got easier with progressives home quote explorer quote and buy all online at progressive.com speaking of raven Steelers, we will get the latest on the status of the game everything else the nfl is thinking we'll do it with one of our favorite insiders next bain and fitz on espn radio and the ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Fitz off to do his Monday Night Football digital stuff, but he will be back. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. I'm going to tell Fitz that too. That way he can miss all the segments, uh, catch up on all the segments that he misses. Uh, joining us now on the Shell Penzel Performance Line to get into all of the latest from the NFL. It is a very disgruntled, uh, which I guess is the opposite of gruntled, but a disgruntled ESPN NFL insider, Dan Graziano, giving us the Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Dan, I, I feel your pain. I'm watching you on social media, trying for the billionth time to explain the difference between what's happening with the Ravens-Steelers game and what happened with the Broncos. But for um, fits and gliggles, as we like to say around here, uh, why don't you tell us one more time why this is not a, a case of favoritism? The Ravens had an outbreak. They, they still have an outbreak. They have over 20 players have tested positive. The game was supposed to be Thursday, then it was supposed to be Sunday, then it was supposed to be tomorrow, now it's supposed to be Wednesday. The reason it keeps getting moved back is not to do the Ravens any favors. The Ravens would have liked to play Thursday and would have liked no one to get sick. But people did get sick, and they had to postpone it because they, weren't, they couldn't be sure that it was safe to put the Ravens in a locker room together or on an airplane together. So they have to push it back in order to be safe. The Broncos didn't have an outbreak. They have one guy test positive. When one guy tests positive, you assess his close contacts. You review how close the contacts were and how high risk they were. You can review film from inside the team facility. And what that film revealed was a quarterback meeting where all the other quarterbacks were sitting around with the guy that tested positive not wearing masks. By definition, they're high-risk close contacts. They have to sit out five days. Day one of the five was Sunday. They couldn't play. So that's it. it. It's a difference between a team-wide outbreak and, and not being safe to put the team together versus one guy tested positive and a couple of knuckleheads broke protocol so they weren't allowed to play. 
Yeah, it's pretty simple. And and the continued consecutive days of positive tests, which reveals that with an incubation period that we understand will, will potentially allow you to not test positive despite carrying the virus until a certain point. We don't know if they're done yet. We don't know if they're done continuing to have positive tests Correct. pop up. So those players, uh, need they need to know that before they travel and before they play. Um, so there's that going on. Another thing I thought about, Dan, that as we talk about so many different aspects of this is when we hear about teams with a 23-person spread or, or even 10 or 11, we talk about the players and we talk about the staff members and coaches. One thing we haven't talked about at all, at least in my estimation, is family, friends, kids, spouses. These NFL teams could be super spreaders just Right. by virtue of any of the people that they're around. And we don't know where they're going and what they're doing, and hopefully they're being safe. But what if they go do anything in their community and spread it more? It just adds to the cognitive dissonance of continuing to play during all of this. Right. And it was always going to rest on what happens when you're away from the facility. But with the protocols the way they are, the league and the union, players' union, believe that the protocols are such that if they're followed – that the virus won't spread in the team facilities, but you can't, you can't require them to wear the contact tracers when they're away from the facilities. And Mm -hmm. you can tell them all you want about, Hey, don't go out to restaurants. Don't ride around an Uber, stay home. You know, your behavior in terms of how you behave away from the facility is going to decide how this season goes for you and for your team and for everyone. But you're counting on that behavior being good and adhering to the rules and the standards and, you know, it's people, it's human beings, it's fallible human beings that are going to make mistakes and not always act that way. So you're right. They can bring it in from outside. They can spread it to the outside, just like you or I could, if we're not careful about where we go, wearing masks, mm-hmm. and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I, I, you're, you're right. Um, but I think in terms of getting the season played, you know, the league and the union got to a point where they said it was worth trying. Um they feel like their protocols, as they evolve, as they as they change them based on what they're learning, are keeping people safe. They don't feel like there's evidence of transmission during games and what's happening at the team facilities, with a couple isolated exceptions, uh, has they've been able to contain it. Uh, yeah. So here we are. We're in week 12, and every game but one that was supposed to have been played by now has been played. So that's a success story from the NFL standpoint, but yeah, a long way to go. Dan Graziano, ESPN NFL insider with us here on Spain and Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, to your point, it's a win for the NFL. They've been able to play games, make money, appease television uh, stations and all the, the deals that they have. But some would argue not a win in terms of the, the, the spread, the fact that players are getting it. We don't right. know the long-term effects. And also, like you said, what happens right. outside of the facilities, which is partly why Santa Clara has said we don't care about the NFL and how much money they make. We, despite being home with the 49ers and Levi's Stadium, are you know enhancing our protocols. And that includes you know three-week ban on any contact sports anywhere in the county. So tell us how the 49ers are reacting to this. Well, uh, first and foremost, they've found a place to play their home games. Uh, week 13 and 14, they're going to play in Arizona. And I believe they're scheduled to play there in week 15 already, like as the road team against the Cardinals. So they'll set up shop at the Cardinals home stadium. That was worked out between them, the league, and and the Cardinals. Um, so that's that's how they'll get their games played. But, yeah, I mean, the 49ers found out while they were en route to L.A. that this was happening. So, you know, now they, they, they thought they were going to L.A. to play a game and going home to practice now they find out they can't do that so it's, it's a disruption it's a significant disruption and look 
I mean, we've all, everybody in the world has had their lives disrupted somehow. Uh, this is how the 49ers are having theirs disrupted in, in the short term, and, and they're going to have to find a way to work around it. It's, it. This is what this year is. It's going to be obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. And if you can overcome it, great. If you can overcome it without everybody getting sick, great. That's, that's the idea. And right now they're trying to get to the end of the season, and the 49ers, are, they might be annoyed, they might be upset, but they're going to, all right, what do we do from here? How do we, how do we operate this? How do we continue to try and win games and keep our guys safe, et cetera, et cetera? Well, it reminded me of uh, we had Myron Medcalf on last week, and there's a college basketball team out of New Mexico where they're not allowed to play at all that's just setting up shop in a hotel in Arizona. doesn't have any games on the schedule yep. even, just waiting for people to call and say, hey, uh, I think both New Mexico teams are, are doing that. Um, it's just wild. It, it is absolutely wild. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain with you. Fitz will be back soon. Dan Graziano, ESPN NFL Insider, with me here. Let's talk about this news that just came out. Will Fuller, add into all of this, oh, yeah. uh, as if teams didn't have enough to deal with. Now Will Fuller has been suspended for use of uh, performance-enhancing drugs, um, and this is a significant ban or a suspension and could mean the end of his time with the team. Right, because he's going into free agency at the end of this year, and yeah. uh, obviously this is not the best look as you head into free agency coming off a drug suspension. He was having a great year, healthy for the first time in his career, really, for a sustained period of time, and his quarterback, Deshaun Watson, I mean, this is a guy who's playing, honestly, at an MVP level at quarterback. Mm-hmm. Can't be in the MVP conversation because of the team's record, but he's playing that well. And really, one of the, I think one of the impressive stories of the season, considering they traded his best receiver in the offseason, they fired his coach four games into the season. Watson <laughs> has weathered it all and played at, at this super mm-hmm. high level. Uh, Fuller's been a big part of that. And so, obviously, you know, the, the games that remain, they won't have him, and that's, that's tough for Deshaun. And obviously for Fuller, I mean, look, you know, whatever happened, he, he, he's suspended for, for uh, performance-enhancing drug use. So, you know, that's on him, and he'll have to wear that. And if it affects his free agency and what he can, what he can go earn from a team, uh, then that's, that's sort of the breaks of the situation. I mean, you know, you're not supposed to do it. So, um, yeah. yeah, he goes into free agency coming off a very good year, but obviously anybody who looks at him is going to have to weigh this as well. And sometimes when you look at a performance-enhancing drug suspension, it's not just a matter of, you know, the guy's production suffered or can we trust this guy? It's a matter of, like, what we're, is what we were seeing believable, right? right. Or was it somehow enhanced? So I, I think it's uh, obviously, from his standpoint, trying to get out on the open market in March, it's, uh, it's obviously going to make things more difficult for him. Yep, career high is 53 reception, career high of 879 yards, career high of eight touchdowns, and he's gone for the rest of the season and the first game of next year, wherever he is. Uh, Dan Graziano, thanks so much for the insight. Appreciate it. Go back to uh, fighting people on Twitter, the good fight. No, I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to go watch a football game. I'm going to listen to All right, off do that. Much Thank better. You, though. I appreciate very it. Wise, very See wise. Very wise. Dan Graziano. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Sarah Spain with you. Fitz will be back. He's doing his Monday Night Football digital stuff. Cheating on me, as always. We're on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. And joining us now, one of the hottest players on one of the hottest teams in the NFL, Bills linebacker A.J. Klein. A.J., thanks for the time. I appreciate you guys having me on. So let's talk about, I, I mean, this timing couldn't be any better. You're coming on the show as I'm seeing articles across the internet. You're playing the best football of your life. Sort of a tale of two halves. The beginning of the season, um, a little bit of uh, growing pains with the Bills. And now you've led the team in tackles in two straight games, a three-game sack streak for the first time in your career. What's the difference? Is there a pivot moment you can point to? 
Um, I don't think there's a pivot moment. Um, I know there were, um, unfortunately, obviously, Matt Milano went down with the injury early in the season. I was asked to fill in um, at Will Linebacker. Um, and I don't make excuses for my performance or anything that's put on me because I, I pride myself in people play multiple positions. But transitioning to Will Linebacker full-time was definitely an adjustment for me. And I think now these past few weeks, I'm finally starting to feel more comfortable and, and just going out there and allowed to, to, to play fast. And um, I'm not thinking as much, which is good. Teams, of course, want to win in whatever fashion they can, but there's a little bit of a healthy rivalry between offenses and defenses, and we'd seen with this Bills team, uh, Josh Allen occasionally needing the heroics on the offensive side, but in this game against the Chargers, the defense was fantastic against a really explosive rookie and a good offense. Uh, You get the 27-17 victory. You have 14 tackles, one and a half sacks, and a pass breakup. How good does it feel in that moment when they need the defense to step up for the win that you guys can do it? It's it's a big confidence boost for us as a team. I think uh, defensively, these past um, three four weeks, we've been playing good ball. Um, unfortunately, we we ended up losing the game against Arizona at the end of the game um, on the hail mary. But um, I feel like overall, we've been getting pressure on the quarterback. We've been um, creating turnovers, and um, those are things that will just help us win. So anytime we go on the field and, and, and close a game out is is obviously a confidence boost for us. And like I, I've been saying, we have to start playing our best ball now. Um, as we as we push into this tail end of the season into the playoffs. A.J. Klein, linebacker for the Bills, formerly with the Panthers and the Saints, with us here on Spain and Fitz. I was reading about your high school career, a linebacker who was also a sprinter. So I was a college-tipped athlete. I know my track and field. Did you put on a ton of weight between high school and college and, and then the pros and fill into more of that linebacker shape, or were you just a speedy big dude? No, I, I I ran I ran track more to stay in shape for football. Uh, to be honest, you're pretty um, good though. I yeah I I, I didn't um, I, I can say that when I was in high school I was a late bloomer. Um, I didn't really <laughs> put on weight until my junior senior year, and uh, by the time I left high school I was like 220 pounds. So, um, but then when I got to college I put on another 20 pounds or so. But um, no, I've, I've I, I just used that part of my high school career for track and field just to stay in shape and to work on my speed and um, get ready for college football. So you're 29 years old, and you have had a bit of experience in bouncing around to a couple teams, but uh, Micah Hyde just said in an interview that came out that you're one of the smartest players on the team, and you're like a coach out there. They call you Coach Klein because you know how to make the adjustments. At 29, that's a pretty big deal to have teammates saying that they see you as another coach out there. What's your reaction to that? Um, well, I, I appreciate the kind words from Mike and obviously me and him have known each other from all the way back to college when he was at Iowa and we played against each other. But, um, for me, I, like I said, I, I try to pride myself on, on playing multiple positions and having a good understanding of a defense and, um, try to be in the right positions, whether it's film study or defensive study and, and how we plan to attack offenses. But, that's something I pride myself on, and um, it's kind of a running joke with, with Coach Babbage calling me Coach Klein. I tell him I, I'm not trying to transition <laughs> to coaching anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, you're like, don't rush me. The money's not as good. Give me, give me a yeah, couple exactly. more years. Don't, don't rush me. Give, me. give me a few more years. <laughs> AJ Klein, linebacker for the Bills, with me here on Spain and Fitzsarah Spain on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Uh, so much conversation around the Broncos game this past weekend, and we heard at the beginning of the season that um, – Josh McCown was going to be in a bubble for his team. Now you guys have isolated Jake Fromm in case of an outbreak. What's the conversation been around your team after, I'm sure, paying attention and watching what happened with the Broncos? 
Well, I, I know throughout the season that they've been um, keeping Jake separate. Um, we're all out at practice, and he'll be doing his own thing. And then when we finish up, he'll go onto the practice field um, to do to do his stuff. So I think as as a uh, entire organization and, and Coach McDermott's done a great job um, keeping everybody up to date on what's going around, not only in our building but around the league, and, and trying to do our best to mitigate any kind of risk um, that we might may have, um, just in case a situation unfortunately like the Broncos happens, that we'll be prepared. Yeah, it's 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 pretty wild, I imagine, adjusting not only to a new team, but with that new team, you have a completely different season than what we've seen before. A.J. Klein, Bills linebacker with us. Tell me about the feeling of being on a Bills team with such high expectations. You're obviously just arriving. How does it feel for you, especially coming off a, a season, couple seasons, three with the Saints, uh, where there's an expectation to win every year and to have a real shot at the Super Bowl? For Bills fans who are rabid fans, this is a, a different experience coming in with such hope. What's it been like? Well, um, I can say a reason why I wanted to come here to Buffalo is obviously because my familiarity with with Coach McDermott, Brandon Bean, um, in, in my time that I spent with them in Carolina. And I knew from the outside looking in um, that they were building something here special in Buffalo. And I've been very fortunate in my career, my, my uh, seven-year career now, or this is my eighth year, I've made the playoffs every year except one. Um, so when I decided to come here and I knew what they've been building, I, I knew that this team is is has an opportunity to do something special. I wanted to be a part of it. So... I think that's the expectation level that uh, Coach McDermott has, has every single season for us, and, and um, it shouldn't be a surprise. I think that's the way that this team is trending um, for, the, for the future. Uh, talk about the move with your family. You have, um, you have two children, right? Yes. Yeah, so um, I, I saw a great story about you and your family deciding to uh, adopt, and, and you've got a, a, a boy and a girl. What's it been like to move your family a, a third time? Well, um, obviously, this is the first time with with them being so young. It's, it hasn't been as difficult as um, I can imagine with if we had school age children. But um, it's it's definitely different with with COVID having everything shut down and not being able to have your your family at the games. And um, so it's it's definitely an adjustment. But luckily, with with the kids being so young, it hasn't been terrible. Yeah. They don't know what's going on anyway. Just throw some toys in front yeah. of them and make sure that make sure they're fed and they should be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is coming from someone without kids, as you can. I have dogs, so I'm like, throw some toys at them and feed them, and they're fine. Um, <laughs> coming up next, you uh, you guys have a Monday night football game against the Niners in Arizona. Okay, so this is because of the Santa Clara thing we just talked about on the show. Is it any different to prepare for a game against a team that's not at home, even if they're the, technically the home team? No, I mean, it's it's no different. You can play at a neutral site. We could have a home game. Um, everybody knows in, in this league, it doesn't matter where you play. Um, you're going to get every team's best every single weekend, and you have to prepare to win just like you're either playing at home, away, it doesn't matter. Um, so we'll just we'll attack this week and prepare this week just like any other week. I would imagine also uh... – this year without really fans in most places it's the it's the best year for something like that to not have much of an effect on on that team in terms of their home experience a uh, final question for you. you from appleton wisconsin my dad went to college there uh my husband is from Wisconsin. I saw a very offensive sign in last night's Sunday night football game from a Wisconsin fan that said, deep dish pizza is overrated. Go pack go. I'm from Chicago. Can I get your verdict on the deliciousness of deep dish pizza as a Wisconsinite? <laughs> 
Well, I'm not going to say I don't like deep dish pizza, but um, I have nothing against the city of Chicago, but I did grow up in Appleton. So um, I can I can say that as long as there's cheese on it, um, I think we'll, we'll be These fine. Good. All yeah, right, good. good. Well, my middle name is Colby, so we can just we'll, we'll shake on, on the love of cheese, <laughs> and we'll just settle it there. Uh, AJ, thanks so much for the time. Congrats on the recent great play, and uh, good luck on Monday. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bill's linebacker, A.J. Klein, with me here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Pennzoil synthetic motor oils are made from natural gas. It gives you unbeatable engine protection. The proof is in the Pennzoil, based on sequence 4A wear test using SAE 5W30. Coming up next, we'll get into tonight's Monday Night Football matchup. Seahawks reporter Brandy, uh, Brady Henderson joining us next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We're going to preview tonight's Monday Night Football game. ESPN Seahawks reporter Brady Henderson joining us now for the Monday Night Football preview brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Brady, this Seahawks team uh, started out hot. We all knew what the flaws were, uh, but it seemed like they would be able to uh, get past a shaky defense with that offense. Now, a couple little mistakes from Russell Wilson, a question about whether they should still let him cook quite so much. And we've got them, you know, in a very tough division. How is the general vibe around this team right now in terms of confidence in their ability? Well, a lot better after that uh, Thursday night game, the Thursday night win over Arizona last week. You know, it was sort of, I don't want to say sky was falling, but there was a lot of, uh, I would say, hands hovering over the panic button after they lost (laughs) two straight games. Just because, in large part, you know, Russell Wilson was really mired in the worst turnover funk of his career. And up until that Arizona game, their defense was really struggling still at this historic rate, especially their pass defense. But Wilson turned in a performance that you're more accustomed to to seeing from him, a mistake-free performance in that win over Arizona. And their defense really had by far its best performance of the season and, um, you know, continued the improvement that I thought it showed in the second half of the Rams game the week before. So as as dire and, uh, you know, sort of shaky as things were looking heading into that Arizona game, Things are looking up now, just you know, in large part because their defense maybe has turned a corner, uh, and the schedule really starts to get easy over the next four games, starting with this one tonight against Philadelphia. Have you been able to pinpoint a reason why, for that stretch of four games, Wilson t- turned the ball over 10, 10 times and the Seahawks went one and three? Was there something going on in the play calling in his play that 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 signaled that shift? Yeah, that's a good question because it is. it has been hard to put your finger on it and exactly why it is. And I tend to think that it was a combination of things. You know, Brian Schottenheimer flat out took the blame for one of those turnovers. You know, it was saying that his play call was at fault. Uh, there was one, you know, fourth down play uh, at Buffalo where Wilson really had no choice but to throw the ball into the end zone because he didn't have an open receiver. But he also said that some of those uh, interceptions were the product of Wilson just making uncharacteristic uh, bad decisions, and there was really one that stands out. It was um, at the Rams at so him where you probably saw the replay where he has a ton of room to run in front of him, and instead he tries to force the ball back across the field into the end zone. So there's, uh, you know, there's a theory there, and I think it's it's entirely reasonable that maybe he was pressing, just knowing that he had to score a ton of points with how bad their defense has been. He didn't have really a running game for a big part of that stretch. Uh, with Carlos Hyde and Chris Carson out. And I also wonder, Sarah, if you know maybe some of that MVP talk was weighing on him a little mm. bit. Um, I think it was maybe a combination uh, of several of those things. 
It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain on ESPN Radio, talking to ESPN Seahawks reporter Brady Henderson. I want to get to the defense in a second, but sticking with the offense quickly, a couple weeks ago I remember reading a really good piece talking about how they had potentially flipped a little too far in the direction of let Russ cook, too much passing on early downs, um, and and the defense was essentially able to say, we know what you're trying to do now, so we're going to we're gonna, uh, uh, set ourselves up and allow you these open gaps up the middle where you know you're not going to take them because you're so focused on getting these pass plays in early. Does it feel like they found the right balance at this point between maybe overcorrecting early in the season? I think that what you saw last week against Arizona was maybe it might be something of a template going forward. And, you know, they did not throw the ball or they did not drop back the pass uh, as often as they had been over the first 10 weeks of the season when they were dropping back uh, more than any offense in the NFL. And it was kind of between what they had been doing over the first 10 weeks of the season and what they had been doing over the past two seasons when they were uh, 31st in drop back rate. Those were the first two seasons with Brian Schottenheimer as, as their offensive coordinator. So I think what you saw last week could be kind of a template. Now, you know, in a couple of those games during that, that turnover stretch of Wilson, you know, they fell behind early um, against Buffalo and against the Rams, and they were playing without, uh, again, Carlos Hyde uh, and Chris Carson. And so you kind of knew, you know, I think they were pretty predictable in those games. You knew that they were going to throw the ball. Um, you know, it's, I don't know if it's going to be similar. I don't know if it's going to be a similar situation that they're going to face over the next four games, just again, because, you know, some of those opponents, specifically some of those offenses, are really struggling. So, But I do think that that Arizona game could be instructive. You could see a little bit more. Uh, running the ball, especially now that Chris Carson is back along with Carlos Hyde. Brady Henderson on Spain and Fitz ahead of tonight's uh, Seahawks-Eagles Monday night football game. The defense in that Cardinals game was the biggest standout. Is there a reason to believe that will be replicated, or is that more of an anomaly for this season? Yeah, that's a tough one because I'm telling you, sir, I've seen a lot of horrendous football from that defense this season, and so it's hard for me to, to be super confident that they really have turned the corner, but at the same time, it was also hard to believe what I was seeing over those first 10 weeks because right. that defense, <laughs> Historically we, all, we all thought that. Would have been the worst yeah, ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's to, to quantify how bad it was, according to Elias Sports Bureau, they gave up the most passing yards through nine games in NFL history, and they only needed eight games to do that. So mm. it gives you an idea <laughs> of how badly they struggled. And it was partly because of a lot of moving pieces, I think, in the secondary. Guys that they were counting on, Jamal Adams missed four games. Quentin Dunbar has been in and out of the lineup. Shaquille Griffin missed some time. Um, and it certainly did not help, and I think this was a big reason for that, that the pass rush really was struggling for, for, much, of, um, you know, for much of the first half of the season. And they really started blitzing more than any team in the NFL just because they had to do something to take some of the pressure off the back end. So... That Arizona game, they, they were able to get to Kyler Murray. They did not have to blitz as much as they did you know, over the over the previous few weeks. Uh, so that is a good sign for them. And Carlos Dunlap, I think, has, has really made a difference. I think he is part of the reason why they didn't feel like they had to bring as much heat uh, with the linebackers and, and safeties and whatnot, uh, just because they were finally able to get some semblance of pressure with their front four. You're listening to Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast in case you miss anything, and also sometimes some digital-only exclusives. ESPN Seahawks reporter Brady Henderson with me here 
uh, previewing tonight's Monday Night Football game. Let's get to the other side of things. This is a not good Eagles team. And uh, normally I would say after a couple struggles and hiccups, the Seahawks wouldn't come in overlooking them. But they might be feeling themselves after that win over the Cardinals and now sitting atop the NFC West. What is the likelihood that uh, if, if Fitz were around, he would hate this reference, that they raider it tonight? <laughs> I'm guessing you mean that they just that they <laughs> lay an game. egg and yeah, and, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I I don't see it. I mean, they're you know they're coming off that Thursday night game, so they have you know they had that mini buy to get healthy. They've got in addition to Chris Carson back, uh, they've got their starting center Ethan Posick, uh, their starting left cornerback Shaquille Griffin, the guy who made the Pro Bowl last season as an alternate. So they had some time to get healthy. Their defense, uh, even if you don't think it's entirely turned the corner, it is getting better. And again, this is an offense. Um, that that has struggled quite a bit. And one more thing I'll add, you know, they, they have not really had a ton of those letdown games under Pete Carroll. You know, he really, the messaging that he, he gives his players really is coaching against that sort of thing. And so um, they are very good in primetime, especially on Monday night. So I, I just can't see the Seahawks losing this game. That's what I said about the Raiders when I picked him against the Falcons, but that's a conversation to bring up to Fitz yet again. Brady Henderson, ESPN Seahawks reporter with me. Uh, Before I let you go quickly, you've watched this division uh, as much as anybody, uh, and it's been a battle at at the top. Even San Francisco now sitting at five and six, better than most of the teams in the league. Uh, Do you have a feeling that Seattle, if if they continue with the defensive evolving, uh, is is the best team, uh, or is it simply just matchups from here on out? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the Rams are really going to give them a fight over the the next six weeks, and the Seahawks really got a break yesterday with the Rams losing and the Cardinals losing. And again, the schedule really really plays out in the Seahawks' favor over the next four games. The the component their four opponents have a combined record of ten, thirty, and one, and so uh, there's some common opponents in there with the Rams. But um, yeah, the Seahawks have that that Week 16 rematch at. Lumen Field, I almost said Central League Field, uh, Lumen Field against the Rams. I think that could very well decide the division. But with the game, or excuse me, a half game lead right now and a pretty easy schedule, I think the Seahawks are definitely in the driver's seat. Agreed with that. Brady, thanks so much for the time. Enjoy the game tonight. All right. Thanks. You too, sir. Brady Henderson, ESPN Seahawks reporter, brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Quoting home insurance just got easier with Progressive's Home Quote Explorer. Quote and buy all online at Progressive.com. If the struggles of the Eagles weren't enough, there's also a, a record on the line that points to the potential for another Seahawks win. Russ Wilson, undefeated, 5-0 and against the Eagles. He's got their number somehow. And, uh Probably won't need as much of that number tonight with the way they look recently. Tim McManus, ESPN Eagles reporter, going to talk about the other side and a potential change at QB. Coming up next on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Oh, man, we are going to get back to what's going on with the Ravens and the Steelers and why it's different than the Broncos because apparently, no matter how many times you explain it, people still don't get it. Or perhaps they're being intentionally obtuse. We will get back to that. And Fitz will be back as well very soon. But we have a Monday night football game that is being played tonight. And as far as we know, has two quarterbacks. Well, approximations of quarterbacks if recent play is taken into account. But that's a conversation to have with our next guest. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Joining us now on the Shell Pennzoil Performance Line, ESPN Eagles reporter Tim McManus. Speaking of quarterbacks, Tim, a lot of conversation about Jalen Hurts getting more reps, but the expectation is that Carson Wentz will still get the start tonight. Do you anticipate we'll see Hurts if Wentz doesn't look good, or was that a slow progression towards him seeing some time? 
I think that we're going to see an increase in snaps of Jalen Hurts at quarterback. And what my sources told me during the course of the week is that's exactly what they were seeing on the practice field. More QB1 snaps for Jalen Hurts. And, yeah, Carson Wentz is going to be getting the start. But I do believe that we'll see a couple plays at least where Carson Wentz will be on the sidelines and Hurts will have control of the offense. Mm. That would be a first. Uh, Because what we have seen to this date, the 31 snaps he's played, is with Wentz kind of lined up in a wide receiver position. But I think we may see a variation of that tonight. And then let's see how it goes. I think that if if Wentz ends up having a really good game, comes out on fire, maybe there's less of Jalen Hurts. But if he struggles, as he has for the better part of the season, then obviously the snaps could go up for Hurts. But but I'm expecting to see an increase uh, in reps for sure. The simplistic way of looking at things in the NFL is that a playoff berth is always the thing you most want, even at the expense of potential future growth because of money, because of fan base, because of everything else. But there are times, and I think this is probably one of them, that a lot more has to come into play than merely the accomplishment of winning a bad division and getting spanked in the first round. How much do you think the Eagles are looking to see what they have with Hurts, what they have with Wentz, and how much are they prioritizing what their future looks like over just saying whatever wins us this game in this division? Well, what's really interesting is that there isn't really a, a long-term answer when it comes to Carson Wentz and, and going to Jalen Hurts on like a permanent basis because of the money that they gave Wentz not that long ago. In 2019 summer, they gave him a four-year, $128 million extension. If you were to try to move on from him this offseason, it would be a $60 million cap hit. If, it, if you do it, try to do it the next offseason, it's a $40 million dead cap hit. In other words, very hard to move on from him, which kind of begs the question of what are they trying to do with Jalen Hurts? Why did they draft Jalen Hurts? But I think for this week, it's about getting a win. Uh, we know that owner Jeffrey Lurie is agitated at the state of affairs, very frustrated by watching this offense be inept week after week, uh, and I think that, you know, this team wants to get the offense going by any means possible. So let's talk about the commitment to Wentz. How, I, politics isn't the right word, but how much does the, the reputation staked by coaches and GMs and, and, and front office folks, and how much is that investment in Wentz deciding his future more so than his play is? Well, I, they weren't expecting this. I mean, they, they were, you know, if you talk to people behind the scenes, their expectation was that Wentz would be the next quarterback to deliver them a Super Bowl and that if everything fell right, health permitting, then maybe one day they'd be watching in the stands as Wentz gave a, a Hall of Fame speech. Like, that was the mentality going into the season, even after drafting Jalen Hurts. So I don't think that that was – it wasn't their expectation, certainly, that he would stumble as bad as he has. Uh, and they've obviously given him every opportunity to try to wiggle his way out of it, but he's just feels broken right now. I mean, there's very few examples of quarterbacks that plummet from the heights that he had in 2017 down to the depths where he is in 2020. And they've been trying just about everything. And now the next thing up is, okay, well, let's just try to get this offense going. Maybe insert hurts a little bit into the equation and see how that helps. And so, you know, I don't know if it's politics so much as just circumstance. I mean, Wentz is their starter. He's making $32 million a year. They have no way of getting out of that. And so, it, you know, they uh, they created this hand, but it's the hand that they're, they're dealing with right now. To that end, though, Tim, I mean, some of our best analysts have talked about the fact that the play calling 
for Carson hasn't particularly been great. And now what you have is the team looking at a different player. So what damage does it do to the relationship between the staff and Carson Wentz if their answer is not to change what they're doing, but instead to change the player that they're doing it with? Well, I think that that's the risk that you run, uh, number one, when you draft a quarterback that high, is that you create uh, issues potentially within your locker room. Like, what's the best-case scenario if, if Hurts comes in and plays well? Uh, then there's going to be people in that locker room that are going to be saying, hey, like this is working with Hurts. Maybe we should go in that, in that direction. Uh, and, yes, with the coaching staff as well, there can be – uh, the potential for friction. I had a source tell me that when Hertz was getting some of the first team reps at practice this week, that Wentz looked visibly frustrated. Uh, and you walk a fine line uh, when you're dealing with the franchise quarterback. And if you're pulling him off the field and back in, there's already plenty of heat on him from the Philadelphia fan base. Does that start leaking inside? I mean, all of these dynamics uh, are created by two things in my mind. One, the, the poor play of Wentz, and two, the addition of Jalen Hurts. And uh, it's creating a situation that could get, you know, a little bit ugly here. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you. Tim McManus, ESPN Eagles reporter with us here on the Shell Penzoil performance line. So they head into a game tonight, Russell Wilson 5-0 and against the Eagles, obviously a better team. Uh, what is there to... To, to improve upon what can they do well that they've done well in the games where they have had success that could give them a shot tonight to win? Well, one thing, if we just kind of rewind back to that, that playoff loss in the wild card round against the Seahawks, DK Metcalf just went off. And the, the, in the offseason, the Eagles went out and they got Darius Slay. And I think that we're going to expect a lot of Darius Slay on DK Metcalf to try to take that element, at least slow it down a little bit. That's one way that they can improve. But I think if we're looking at this thing big picture, you can't really thwart the, the Seattle attack totally. And that means that the offense is going to have to step up here. And speaking to people within the organization, they feel like they can take advantage of what has been a pretty porous pass defense by Seattle. And so I think that if they want to win this thing, they're going to have to score some points, whether that's Carson Wentz throwing it, whether it's Jalen Hurts throwing it. They feel like they can, they can uh, make some hay in the secondary and put, finally put up some uh, some offensive points through the air. And let's see if that happens. Awesome stuff, Tim. Thanks so much for the insight. Enjoy the game tonight. All right, guys. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Tim, Tim McManus, ESPN Eagles reporter with us here on Spain and Fitz. And so is Jason Fitz. Welcome back to your own show. I, thank you so much. Hey, we, you know, we, we, uh, we missed you. Uh, there was a lot of mentions of Sarah Spain tonight for what that's worth. You know, that, okay. that's the Look forward the best to finding can... out what that's all about. No, I'm it was sure just was... Diana thought, you know, it'd be good to promote the radio show. So she ah, was okay. Yeah, but that, it was good. The guilty, the guilty mistress. Can, can I appreciate we, right, that. That's, that's nice that's of fair. her. Can, yes. Can we acknowledge that whatever we're conversation we're having about the Eagles right now, Sarah, was partially created by them. I mean, it's impossible now not to look at that second round draft pick for Jalen Hurts and say, mm-hmm. what What did they think? What was going through their head? What did they already know? Because either they just flippantly drafted somebody that had very little usage for them, or they felt like this could be a possibility. And right. that's, I think, the disturbing part for so many people trying to figure it out. Well, yeah. I mean, if you feel like you're stuck with Wentz, then you're stuck with Wentz and drafting his replacement to sit there if you're not going to use them, doesn't make it any better and could have contributed possibly to the confidence issues that we're hearing about him. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance Drivers who save with Progressive, save over $750 on average. Call or click today and find out if we could save you hundreds on your car insurance. Coming up, good news, bad news from a weekend of football.
You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. <laughs> <In football. laughs> Trying to deal with all the COVID stuff, some unprecedented, and that's the word of 2020. If time named a, a person of the year, they should name a word of the year, and I'm pretty sure it'd be unprecedented. Um, but with, with everything going on, we thought we would identify uh, some good news and some bad news from the weekend of football. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Don't forget, you can always hit us up at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz with your thoughts on the show. Uh, we'll get to some of those in just a little bit. But let's do a little good news, bad news. And let's start with something I just tweeted out uh, a, a, a supplement to, and that is the story of Sarah Fuller, who absolutely is handling her time in the spotlight as the first woman ever to play in a Power 5 football game with aplomb. She is not only uh, impressive in, in, in the way she's handled her media, but just the responses as the Twitter trolls come out and fits. She just uh, today tweeted out a video of her free kick going the length of the field directly onto the foot of a teammate for a goal. So she gets the goalkeeper assist and she just wrote, I'm just going to leave this here. As people are <laughs> criticizing her because they don't understand a squib kick or they don't know the, the rules or, or it was the PR hire or whatever, whatever else is going on. She handled herself great. So good news that Sarah Fuller broke down this barrier and that all the little boys and girls and adults even out there watching got to see something that's never been done before. Well, and you know, the funny thing is I, I do these parting shots for outside the lines as part of uh, what I get to participate in here. And last week they said, do you have a story you want to participate on? And I, I, I used this one. I, and it hadn't made a lot of news yet, but I said, no, I want to talk about Sarah Fuller getting a kick for Vandy. And part of what I talked about in my parting shot was it doesn't matter where you're from, what you look like, what your sexuality is, or what your gender is. If you can help my favorite football team win, I want you to do that. And the honest-to-God response I got from some of the people that approved those was, well, is this even really an issue? Like, do people really have a problem with a woman kicking in a football game? I think you're presuming that problem exists. And I simply looked at social media and said, no, no, there's no presumption here. There are morons everywhere. This was a moment of pride for Vanderbilt, Mm -hmm. a moment of pride for college football, and it's something that I think needs to be looked at more often. Kicking is atrocious across the college football landscape. There are so many bad kickers. If you can make your team better and give your team even a tiny, tiny improved chance to win a game on Saturday, and it means bringing a woman into any position, you do it all day, every day. And if kicking is the gateway that opens the door to that opportunity i'm here for every ounce of it well and the best part was all the misogynist a-holes who thought that they were being sneaky with their criticism well if they really wanted us if they didn't have any kickers then they just would have taken someone from the men's soccer program which a simple google would tell you they haven't had a program for years oh well there wasn't anybody else there was nobody else they could get yeah they did bring in some other guys and it and it was bad because this person is a kicker who is a peak form athlete who is coming off a title win with her team and and it's significantly better than some schmo who kicked in in sixth grade and has been sitting on his couch getting high every day at college like the people not understanding all the specifics of this are very frustrating but then again we're belaboring this point because we have one other other quick thing on it though i don't know if you saw this there at halftime it was sarah fuller that stood up in front of the team 
and implored the team to play with more energy. It was Sarah yeah. Fuller that asked for more from Vanderbilt football in the second half. As they were getting rocked. Right. As in the second half, players were commenting afterwards that it was only Sarah that was on the sideline trying to give the energy and trying to give that next level as a teammate. So for everybody mm-hmm. that, that seems to lack understanding, she was a leader, not just in what she did, but she was a leader in the locker room and how she approached the entire process of that game day. Well, the joke was that her parents weren't used to watching such a bad team. Like this is a, this is someone who's Fair. playing at the highest level of her sport and just came off a championship win and then is like, "Oh, we're getting our butts whooped. This sucks. Can you guys get a little closer so I have a chance to kick?" And the answer was no. They couldn't. Uh, the bad news, unfortunately, is uh, the man responsible, or at least in part, for bringing her on and making this happen, Derek Mason, was fired. Uh, the team zero and eight. Not a good run. Uh, he did his best. Very classy statement on his way out, but sort of a bummer after a feel-good story. Yeah, and Derek Mason, somebody I covered a lot when I worked in Nashville, somebody that I think is absolutely an incredible human being and the type of guy you want to run through walls through for. For anybody that thinks that Vandy is an appealing job, I would say loudly, it is not. It's a school that has chosen not to spend any money or resources on football. They instead take their profit sharing from the SEC. They enjoy it, and they have no interest in actually using any of that to create a football program. So Derek Mason's hands were tied from the get-go just like the next head coach's hands were tied and the minute anybody Mm -hmm. has success they'll do just what James Franklin did and they'll go somewhere else well that is certainly some bad news Uh, the good news though Sarah said she's going to stick around as long as they'll have her so we might get a chance to see her kick in another game if they can get themselves close enough to the field goal range. Uh, Why don't you deliver the good news for Lions fans? So the good news, Lions fans, is last week we were sitting around saying, hey, will loyalty be a reason that the organization hangs on to bad coaches and GMs too long? And we got the answer to that. After the Thanksgiving Day debacle, there was a house cleaning for Detroit. That is the good news as they fired their GM and head coach all in one fell swoop and decided to start a new trend for the organization. And Sarah, to the point that we had last week, hey, you know what? At least they went out and decided it was time to make a change instead of sticking with somebody just because you stick with people. 100%. And I think I mentioned this last week that the the loyalty and the family vibes there are great and it feels good, but it feels a lot better to win. And being loyal to people who have not proved that they deserve to keep their jobs uh, is a fault. And, and it happens around these parts as well, but it's very notable in Detroit. 13-29-1 under Matt Patricia the past two-plus seasons. Um, just a bad move from Quinn to fire Jim Caldwell, a bad choice in Matt Patricia. And it's just, it's it's a it's a team that needs a complete overhaul and rebuild. Uh, unfortunately, there is some bad news for uh, the Lions, not Lions fans. All of that is is good news, but uh, bad news for Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn because you're fired. Yeah, well, and, and the bad news for the Lions is that they're back in the hiring cycle, which traditionally mm-hmm. they get wrong. So this is sort of yeah. a reminder that you are back at square one all of a sudden with a possible massive rebu- rebuild. So that's some uh, that's the the bad news portion of it. Sticking with the good news, bad news theme, a little college football here. Uh, Ohio State, uh, maybe maybe there's some good news here. Like there's still a chance that Ohio State could play in the Big Ten championship game. It's not much of a chance there, but there's at least yeah. a chance. Good Remember, news. They, yeah, they, that's good, good news. news. That they were really worried that like they would, could still be eligible for the college football playoff, but not being able to play in the Big Ten championship because of COVID affecting games and canceling games. You know, what a bummer. So that that's good news that there's still a chance. But unfortunately, there's some bad news. Uh, and the bad news is that that chance would be for 12 of the 14 remaining Big Ten games to be canceled. Now, I'm not saying that's an impossibility because... 2020. 
But they would need for the percentage, basically, to drop down of how many games all of the teams in the league have played. So you take the total number of games played by all of the teams, and then you divide it by the number of games played. You get an average out of total games. And if that's fewer, then they have an opportunity to still get in, despite not playing that requisite six that had been stated at the beginning of the season. But 12 of the next 14 games being canceled, even in 2020 times, is a reach. Remember that the last game of the season for them is against Michigan. Jim Harbaugh can't beat Ohio State, but he might be able to keep them out of the Big that's Ten so, Championship oh game. Oh, gosh. Oh, that's just, the take. That's just, gonna, we're going to see that in a thousand tweets leading me, up to that. That's it. He's going to turn around and be like, you know what? We're just not comfortable playing against yep. you all, so we're going to skip yep. this one. We're going to sit that's it out. That's just like the uh, Rudy Gobert Defensive Player of the Year. He shut down the whole league. Uh, <laughs> it's, it, it's very similar. Uh, good news for Indiana, though. Uh, if Ohio State can't go, then it could be an Indiana team in the Big Ten Championship, but... Some bad news, Fitz. Yeah, the bad news is that Michael Penix Jr., their superstar quarterback that's been such a big part of why they've won and so dynamic and fun to watch, is unfortunately out with the year with what has been reported as an ACL injury. So Indiana sitting on this year where they capitalize on their opportunity and really show everybody what that football team can be, and then all of a sudden, ugh, the worst-case scenario for them with the dreadful injury. God, I just got to tell you, it feels terrible that in 2020, it does seem like almost all good news is accompanied by bad news. It's really hard to just get a bright, shining star to look at that isn't followed by stepping in a turd because you were looking up instead of down. So if anybody has real good news (laughs) that is not followed immediately by bad news, I'd like to hear it. Hit us up on the Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed with good news that is unsullied by badness. We'll try it. Coming up, speaking of good, good takes or hot takes. That's coming up next on Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, keeping you guys uh, keeping you guys updated on Monday Night Football right now. It's nothing, nothing. Tie game. Uh, but at this point, the Seahawks are driving. So we'll keep you updated as that continues uh, to go. But Sarah, one thing we like to do every Monday is take some of the uh, the takes that have been on the network all day and, and really give them a, a grade on whether they're good or they're hot. It's time for some good take, hot take. Oh, That's right. Uh, well, I thought we, we don't had... have an open for that. But th- remember, we just have some sound effects. I know it's hard because you're always cheating on the show. Wow. To remember wow. which shows have which things. But what I would recommend is that you subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. And that way, any segments that you miss, you can catch up on. Wow. That's well done. That is, you know what? I, I had that. All right. So this is what we will do then. I'll try this all again. Pretend that it just didn't even happen that way. Uh, we'll play the take and then we'll react to it. And we start. One of our favorite takers in general would be Dan Orlovsky. And he had some strong words for Coach Bruce Arians and what's happening right now in Tampa Bay between Arians and Brady. Tom Brady, by every measure right now, is the second-ranked play-action passing quarterback in the NFL. It keeps him clean. It helps their offensive line use use and protection. It creates some of the chunk passes. They ran it five times yesterday. Five. So last week... You ran motion six times. Yesterday, you run play-action pass five times. He goes five, four for five, 83 yards in a touchdown. Patrick Mahomes ran play-action pass 17 times. <laughs> right now, Bruce Arians is wasting Tom Brady. He got served a silver platter on a silver platter, the greatest quarterback to ever play. And all you had to do was use him the right way. And he's completely failing Tom. And I've got fear that it's going to bury this football team this season. What do you think, Sarah? 
Oh, okay. So this is mostly a really good take. It, I, I, I don't want to Be absolve good. Tom of his involvement in this, though, because according to an off-camera interview with Mike Silver, Bruce Arians said Brady is, quote, picking the plays during weekly game planning in the huddle at the line of scrimmage. If he is picking the things he is comfortable with and he wants to run, and what we're ending up with is not enough play action, too many deep balls that he's been inaccurate on, then that's on him too. So I do think whatever the combination of who's in charge is, they are wasting his abilities by not optimizing what he can do and instead going far too often to the kinds of plays he has not had success with. As I think it was Jeff Darlington who pointed out, the percentage of times he's throwing 20-plus yards is so significantly more than what he used to do. So it's not even like we know he's actually worse at it. It's that we know that they're doing it too often. He's never been that great at it. Um, and so, to me, this is a good take. It's accurate, but I, I'm also curious about how many times Tom is not being maybe uh, self-aware and choosing the plays that are going to best serve him and the team. Well, and to that extent, I agree with you. I think it's a good take. Uh, and pride is the downfall of man, right? And so what you have here is pride on two different levels. I mean, Bruce Arians, it, whether it's pride in his uh, offensive scheme or whether this is a pride issue for uh, Brady wanting to come in and run the plays he wants to run, at some point that all lies at the, the feet of Bruce Arians. And just like we have to protect athletes from themselves in a health and safety way, sometimes you have to help themselves, help them from themselves in a play-calling manner too. So I don't think it's the worst here to say, hey, Bruce Arians, you are the head coach. So at some point, if the plays aren't working and he's calling them, it's up to you to turn around and stop that. Now, to the other extent, though, Ryan Clark talked about Brady, and this is what he had to say about Brady deserving some of the blame. Tom Brady has to take some of this as well. He's missed more. He's been off target more than anybody in the NFL 87 times. That ain't coaching. Having an open guy and not putting the ball on him isn't coaching. That is player-led. That is player-driven. And at some point, we're going to have to stop saying that everything that ever happens bad to Tom Brady is because he has bad coaching. No, say it. Number 12 ain't playing good. They can change some things, yes. But 12 has to be better, and he even said it himself. And that's where I think, Sarah, maybe there's some middle ground on all this because there's a mm-hmm. lot to that that I feel is a good take. And, good. you know, I'll go back to something Mina Kime said earlier when she said that uh, in the NFL right now, uh, Tom Brady has the second highest number of interceptions when blitzed. His interception ratio has been terrible when he's blitzed. That's the method to get to him. We all know that. Well, if everybody's getting to him at that end, then at some point that's partially who Brady is. And if that's defining this portion of the season, then that's got to lie in his feet also. Yeah, and it's interesting. They had that stat during the game the other night of the players in their first year in the Arians offense and the high percentage of interceptions. It feels like there is a growing pain situation here that even though he may be calling things that he thinks are going to work with Brady, Brady has trouble reading the defense or hasn't been able um, hasn't been able to see uh, wh- wh- where his where his players are going because he doesn't know them as well. Whatever the issues are, they are also on Tom Brady, and that's why Arians points out sometimes he's inaccurate, sometimes he misses guys, sometimes they're open and doesn't hit them. So it must be frustrating for Arians, too, for people to say he's not using him right when sometimes those plays are there and Tom is not seeing them or not hitting these guys. So I think you're right. I think it's a combination of both. Both are good takes, and they don't have to operate uh, independently of one another. It's good. good. It's good take, hot take on Spain and Fitz there, Spain, Jason Fitz. Let's give Keyshawn a little love from Key J and Z this morning. Talked about one particular team to look out for the Giants in the playoffs. Tom Brady has to take some of this as well. That's the wrong one. We'll try that again. If they made the playoffs, it could be one of those teams that you don't want to play 
because the unknown is there. You don't know what giant team could show up. You yeah. start to build confidence. You win games, you build that confidence. You know, you're a puppy, you're young, you don't know what you're doing. And all of a sudden, you start to say to yourself, oh, okay, it's not so bad. You stick the toe in the water just to gauge it and see how cold it is. If it's warm enough, you're going to dive all the way in. And I think that is what the Giants are doing. They got kind of got their toe in the water. They're trying to get a feel for it. And as they continue to realize, oh, we can play with these guys, they become very dangerous. Hmm. I mean, that Sarah – I mean, I'll go first on this one. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a that's a dreadfully hot take. I mean, that is <laughs> that is a scorching hot take. Like, this is a Giants team that did everything they could to lose to the Bengals with a backup quarterback. Like, this is yeah. a Giants team that did not yeah. look particularly great the week before beating the Eagles. Like, their last three wins are against the Bengals, the Eagles. And the Washington football team. Like, I'm not going to anoint that as something I'm scared of in the playoffs. If the playoffs started today, they play the Rams. You think the Rams are scared of the Giants because yeah, they're yeah. young and haven't been? Oh, that's a scorching You know what? You're, you're absolutely right. I was going to say there's a little piece of me that's like somehow they're on top of the NFC East and as trash as that is, it's still impressive. They lost all these people to injury. But Daniel Jones has a hamstring injury. Who knows how long he's going to be out there? Be, I think Colt McCoy, right? And you're right. The, the hottest part of it is the most important part to focus on, which is the playoffs. Someone's going to be afraid of them in the playoffs? No, absolutely not. No, we could we could say that they're doing a, a, a an admirable job of, of of succeeding a little bit, a little bit. Because again, succeeding, they're four and seven, uh, despite everything going on. But yeah, no one's afraid of them. I just want to meet the one fan in a bar that's like, man, I don't want the Saints, I don't want the Bucks, <laughs> I don't want the Chiefs, like just any of those, but really, don't give me the Giants. Yeah, oh, yeah. good God. Uh, All right. Good take, hot take. Uh, let's get into a little Bears uh, action on good take, hot take, as Keyshawn, uh, we'll stick with him, had, some, had his take on Matt Nagy and uh, the benching of Mitchell Trubisky. This is what he said on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin. He did this to himself. There's no way in hell when you're 3-0, and regardless to what you feel about Mitch Trubisky as a starting quarterback, that you should have ever turned to Nick Foles. I understand you vouched for Nick Foles. You went out and got Nick Foles in a trade, and you felt like you needed to justify that by going to him, even though Mitch Trubisky had you at 3-0 and at the time. 3-0. and Come mm-hmm. back and win against the Lions. You know, it wasn't Aaron Rodgers. He wasn't Drew Brees. He wasn't Russell Wilson. He wasn't playing at that level. But you were 3-0. and There's no need to disrupt the team chemistry at that point in time. Had he all of a sudden lost two in a row and a couple turnovers in the two that you lost, now you look to Nick Foles. Because three games in in a season, if you wanted to play Nick Foles, you should have started him at the beginning of the year. Because that was your intent to begin with. And if your intent was to play Nick Foles all along, you should have did it at the beginning of the season. Why disrupt the team at 3-0? and Okay, uh, I understand it's hard because we're all trying to cover all the teams, but uh, so, so, some of that stuff's just factually incorrect, and that is what makes it a hot take. First of all, he was not 3-0 and when they benched him. Everyone says this because they're looking at a box score in which Trubisky started the game. He started the third game of the season. They were losing terribly to the Falcons. Nick Foles came in in the third through three touchdowns and led them to a comeback win. What they saw from Trubisky in the first two games and the first half of that third game was a guy who was not reading defense as well and who was struggling, despite the fact that they had some pretty interesting wins at the beginning there. Again, they were wins that were by the very tip of their finger and it was usually because the other team lioned or the other team had multiple injuries it was not a convincing 
win. So when they benched him, he was not 3-0. and The team was 3-0 and after the game during which they benched him, but that's an important difference. Also, Nagy didn't do this to himself because he's not the one who drafted Mitch Trubisky and whose career is tied to him. It is in some ways because the success of this team is going to affect Matt Nagy's job, but Ryan Pace, the GM, is the one who wanted Trubisky to succeed. He had to suck up his pride and go get Nick Foles to present them with another option in case Mitch was as bad as he was last year, which he was, which is why... They had so much trouble because Foles wasn't any good. Trubisky wasn't any good. They wanted Trubisky to beat him out and start. But if they wanted to start Foles at the beginning, they would have because they just went out and spent a ton of money on the guy. They went to Trubisky because they thought he was better in camp. So none of what he said is right. Now, again, it doesn't matter because they both suck and they're probably going to get the GM and the coach fired and we need a new starter and they owe Foles money for the next few years. So he's probably going to stick around and be the backup unless he retires. But none of what he said is why any of this is going on. It's all based on that initial decision to draft Mitch Trubisky instead of Mahomes and instead of Deshaun Watson and then to have his job essentially tied to whether he succeeds or not. And that's how they end up in this mess. If they had a wardrobe closet here at ESPN, I would grab the church choir one and I'd be singing in the back going, hallelujah. All right. Oh. So, like, it's just good. I'm glad you got that off your chest with some uh, with some factual accuracy it's on it, too. not a defense of anyone. It's, well, just, it's just facts, though. All right. Well, speaking of facts, some of you guys need to hear the facts on what's going on right now in the NFL and why so many of you are just wrong about the way the NFL should or is handling some of these COVID issues. We'll get to that. Plus, Seahawks-Eagles are playing right now. We'll get you an update on the game coming up next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Look, we're trying. Like, we are trying to be... I'd like to think that throughout the course of our our two hours together every night, Sarah, that if there's any one thing we try to be, it's logical, it's nuanced, try to have real conversation. We try not to get into a lot of hot takes, and we try to give you the best, honest, formed opinion that we can, not from... Uh, not by yelling, but by having good conversation. So I feel like that's our goal. And for some reason, people are just unwilling to do that when it comes to the way the league is handling COVID-19. And let me say... As a Raiders fan, I, like believe me, many of my digital brethren are worked up about the way all of this has been handled. Like you'd think I'd want to be on this soapbox, and I, I got nothing. Like I think the league's doing the right thing. Okay, so I, I could pick any one of the menchies that I've had over the last like two hours, but let's uh, just for the sake of establishing uh, one voice that represents many of them, at the Buffalorian hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed to join Spain and Fitz Nation with, it seems like there are different rules for different teams right now. A little more transparency in what goes into these decisions would be nice. Similarly, uh, the the commentary on, on whether the Broncos should have been, quote unquote, forced to play, which was, quote, basically a forfeit versus the Ravens and Steelers getting, quote, accommodated by pushing back. This is uh, something that has come up a number of times at CEO Hop. Uh, hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed to join Spain and Fitz Nation. Uh, at the end of the day, the issue was positive COVID tests due to broken protocols. Regardless of spread versus containment, both teams had the same violation. And if we're going to sit the Broncos QB down, essentially a forfeit, then the excuse being for the raise, uh, being used for the Ravens doesn't fly. You're missing it entirely. It wasn't, quote unquote, basically a forfeit. It was like every other team that has played without players this season with the terrible circumstance of it being all of the Broncos' core 
quarterbacks. It is no different than any team this year that has played without its players, including Cam Newton being out for the Patriots or any other team that's missing multiple offensive linemen. The rules are the same. It's just that their win probability wasn't. They weren't going to win because they didn't have any quarterbacks because their quarterbacks chose not to wear masks. They were not available, but there was no spread. It was contained because the first day of the requisite number of days that they had to miss for not wearing a mask in a room with someone who was positive was Sunday, the day of their game, which could still be played safely. The Ravens and Steelers game could not be played because of eight plus consecutive days of new positive tests for the Ravens, meaning an uncontrolled spread. They did not know the the end of it, meaning the incubation period of the virus could offer up more positive tests from people that in theory would be getting on a plane and flying to Pittsburgh and then playing a game against the Steelers. If you don't get this, you are a moron. And if you do get it and you're still arguing with me, you're doing that because you're sad about the Broncos having to play a trash game. And I'm sad for you too. It sucked. But if you don't get this, you're being willfully ignorant and I can't explain it any more times. I what what blows my mind is why would the league turn around to anybody whenever they can avoid it, remembering Lamar Jackson is not going to play in this Ravens game it's whenever it is. It's going to be trash. Right. They like, have no running backs. They the, have no quarterback. The Ravens are going to get killed. And at some point you have to look at this and say, "Okay, why would the league reward the Broncos for not doing the one thing that was collectively bargained that would have to be done. Yeah. Remember that there is specific protocol that has been agreed on by the NFL and the NFL Players Association to how this will be handled. So what anybody listening thinks about the mask is irrelevant. They agreed on a protocol as two, as a union and a collective bargaining group. So they've all come to this agreement that they will not be in a room around each other without the doors open and closed spaces and all of these different rules that exist. So those rules were broken by the Broncos quarterbacks. The league cannot reward that by turning around and saying, no worries, we'll push the game back. And in fact, the close contact tracing is what it is. You mentioned offensive linemen. I'll go back to the Raiders. They went through an entire week of no practice, and luckily, most of those players were cleared the morning of a game. Had they not been cleared, oh well. That's the way this thing goes in 2020. Is it awful that somebody with the Ravens started this? Yes. Should the Ravens be fined and lose draft picks? I believe so, yes. Absolutely. But the reason that they're not playing right now has nothing to do with the test and everything to do with not knowing where we are today in the outbreak. Until we know Mm -hmm. that the outbreak is contained, we can't put everybody at risk. That's the whole reason this is happening. And remember, also collectively bargained, a forfeiture means nobody gets paid. So the other team doesn't want a forfeiture. If you're the Saints, you sure as hell didn't want the Broncos to forfeit a game and not get a game check because their quarterbacks decided ignorantly to break the very rules that were agreed upon. So, Well, and that's the other point. People are asking, why aren't the Ravens forced to forfeit if it's not contained? Because the NFL wants to play games. They don't want TV partners to be mad. They don't want to lose out on the money. They don't want the playoffs affected. They don't want to have to put in to play that weird pandemic thing where they change the whole schedule of the postseason to accommodate for games that couldn't be played and an unfinished season. They want to play games, which is why... They made Denver play a terrible game with no quarterbacks. And they want Baltimore and Pittsburgh to play no matter how many players are not available, but they have to wait for the spread to stop first. They're going to make them play. It's going to be as terrible, probably, as that Broncos game. But it can happen only when the spread stop and the Broncos didn't have a spread. So they could play immediately and it could suck. 
Baltimore and Pittsburgh have to wait for their sucky game. There's a difference between testing positive for COVID-19 and being put on the COVID-19 reserve list is far different than being placed on the close contact tracing list. That's a nuance that people have to get Mm -hmm. to learn right now because it makes all the difference in the world in how this is handled. Again, and for anyone that said, well, why couldn't they sign a quarterback? I'll remind everybody again, there's a six-day waiting period from the time that you sign your deal to you can actually come together with your team because of the COVID-19 contact tracing rules. So all of this is to try and prevent some sort of wild spread of the virus. That's what this is all about. And so, yes, uh, the Raiders were forced to play against the Buccaneers with no practice all week, and their kickoff was moved to an earlier time, and yada, yada, yada. All of this has been done for reason. Also, the reason some teams have been fine, the reason some teams have lost draft picks is because they have multiple offenses. That also matters. Like, the league is actually being more consistent than people realize if you'll take your fan hat off and stop rooting for any of the teams involved and just ask the simple question, why are we here? The answers, Sarah, are pretty plain to me. And and the idea that they're accommodating the Ravens or they're being flexible, quote-unquote, when they could have been flexible for the Broncos. They don't want to be flexible or accommodating to either. They are in this position because they broke protocol. The NFL is furious with these teams for making the product worse, for delaying, for their TV rights being on a Wednesday at 3 p.m. before the tree lighting ceremony because they screwed up. They're mad. They're punishing them. Their punishments will be coming, but first they have to figure out how to get the games in. This is not an accommodation. This is a delay, delay, delay until the last possible moment because a forfeit sucks for everyone, but most especially our wallets. Well, and and remember that a forfeit changes everything. You're talking about the top overall seed. You're talking about a Ravens team that's in the, the thick of the playoffs. Like The last thing you want for everybody else is a forfeit, even if it's just about draft positioning, a forfeit, worst-case scenario. Tomorrow, 8.30 a.m., Demora Smith will be on with The Morning Show to talk about it. Thanks for hanging out with Spain & Fitz. Thanks for listening to the Spain & Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.